In the children's movie, Inside Out, Riley, a little girl, has five emotions inside her brain which are responsible for helping her develop as a person. These characters represent the emotions of disgust, fear, anger, and joy and sadness. And they sit at the control panel of Riley's brain and help her respond to all the things she encounters in the world. The emotion of disgust protects Riley from gross stuff like broccoli, right? No one likes broccoli. And the character of fear helps Riley be cautious about the different things all around her that could hurt her. Anger helps her to express extreme displeasure and and helps her to stick up for herself. And, And joy, of course, helps her delight in the joys of life, the happiness of life. And it brings satisfaction to her. But then it comes to sadness. It comes to sadness. And it's really difficult at the beginning to understand what the point of her is at all. And from the point of, of, of joy, from her viewpoint, it would be better if sadness was just eliminated altogether. She doesn't seem to serve a function at all. She's just depressing. She's sorrowful. Everything she touches turns to just blue. And so there's this, 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 this conflict throughout the movie where Joy is just trying to mitigate the damage of sadness throughout the movie. But like Joy in this movie, I think sometimes we feel the same way about sadness. We treat this emotion and feeling as if it really has nothing to do with our life at all, especially the Christian life. And so, and so when we feel sad, We try to run away from it. We try to suppress it. We try to squash these feelings or drown it out and mute the feeling altogether. And this is why we see so many people, especially during this Christmas season, turn to drugs, alcohol, parties, the busyness of life, Netflix, TV, video games, and the list goes on and on and on just to escape sadness. And Christians often feel like they have to do the same during this season. I mean, after all, Christians are supposed to be happy people, right? Joyful people, thankful people. We're supposed to have more reason than anyone else in this world to rejoice, right? I mean, we've received the gift of Jesus. We've sung about that here this morning. And in him, there's great joy. There's freedom from sin. Freedom from captivity. We have a salvation that is ours that cannot be taken away. And so we should sing for joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. But at the same time, how does this joy that we have in Jesus relate to the very real sorrows that we all go through, that we all experience How does the joy that we have in Jesus relate to the very real sorrows we face sometimes during this season? Do I just need to change the way I feel? And if not, then what type of joy are we truly offered in Jesus? This is the question that we will be exploring here this morning. And in exploring this question, my hope is that for those of you who are feeling the joys of Christmas, that it would be enhanced, that you would have greater joy. And for those of you who are not feeling incredibly joyful at all, or happy, that the sorrows and sadness you're experiencing would be a pathway 
to deeper and fuller joy even this morning. So how does the joy that we have in Christ relate to the very real sorrows that we experience? As we begin to explore this question, I think it's helpful, as always, to see what the Bible has to say about it, right? So we first turn then to the example of of Paul, the Apostle Paul. I think we all know him well. But Paul was one of the most joyful people in the world, wasn't he? We know this. He had a relationship to Christ and a future inheritance that the world cannot take away. And so he often tells Christians over and over again to rejoice, right? Rejoice. I say again, rejoice. Be glad for all that is yours in Christ Jesus. But at the same time, Paul recognized that sorrow was a part of the Christian life as well. And he acknowledges this over and over again in the scriptures. This is clear as he tells us in Romans 12, 15, to rejoice with those who rejoice and then weep with those who weep. Rejoice always, but then also weep with those who weep, those who are in pain, those who are going through hardships. So it's important for us to know immediately that even though he tells us to rejoice always, this doesn't mean rebuking those who are going through sadness or sorrows. He doesn't say, get over your sorrow, Christian, and just rejoice. He doesn't say that, but with compassion and love, he, he recognizes, right, that, that there is a real sorrow and pain we all go through. And we weep with those who weep. Paul makes this clear himself that although he had great joy in Jesus, he went through absolutely agonizing pain that brought him to even despair in life itself. He doesn't water this experience down, does he? But he, he shares honestly here in 2 Corinthians 1.8 about the very real struggles he went through. He knew what it was to weep, even in life itself. And so this reality, again, shapes the joy that we have in Jesus, doesn't it? It's a joy that is not free of hardship or sorrow or pain, but it is a deep abiding joy even in the midst of sorrow. And so Paul would bring this reality to bear on the Christian life even as he would describe his life and ministry as, as sorrowful, right, yet always rejoicing. Joy and sorrow are the mark of the Christian life. But then Jesus himself also illustrates this reality for us. Jesus was perfect in every way. He was the most joy-filled person in this universe. He brought joy to John the Baptist while he was still in the womb, and he was apparently so joy-filled that the accusation that he was a drunk and a friend of sinners had some teeth. He was enjoying his time with sinners and those in need. Jesus is himself the author of joy. And so it should be no surprise that we should see these things. But then he also desires to give joy to his disciples and those who follow him. For he says in John 15, 11, I have told you these things so that my joy, my joy might be full in you and may be made complete. He wants fullness of joy for his disciples, for his people. But while Jesus is 
the very source of joy itself. Again, we recognize, even as Isaiah 53 tells us, that Jesus was also a man of sorrows. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he died, this joy-filled man was sorrowful and troubled and confessed, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. And it's here that we find him experiencing excruciating pain and stress to the point of where he even has droplets of blood coming out of him due to the pressure he was under. And in desperation, he cries out to the Father in pain, saying, let this cup pass from me. And so in the garden, we don't see a a blissful, happy Jesus, do we? But a Jesus who is under terrible stress and, and, and pain. And this, again, informs our understanding of what true joy is that we have in Christ this morning. So we look at the examples of both Paul and Jesus, I hope at least three, three things are becoming clear to us. First, we recognize that true joy does not get rid of, trivialize, or ignore the pains we experience today. I think sometimes we're tempted to do that. But Jesus didn't go to the cross with a, a smile plastered on his face, and Paul basically said that he was at a point in his life where he didn't even want to live anymore. And so just because we have this joy from Jesus does not mean that our pains are any less real. Instead, just as Paul and Jesus do, we can be honest about our pains with the Father. We can go to him. And then the second thing this means then, that true joy is not equivalent just to happy feelings. And again, this is seen even as the author of joy himself goes through terrible pain and agony. And so while happiness is often associated with external circumstances and and just like these temporary feelings, Christian joy goes beyond the external circumstances and is rooted in a relationship to God himself. And from this relationship to God himself, we gain this true joy, which has a very deep sense of well-being and goodness that transcends mere happiness. And true joy, then, is this deep feeling, right, of wellness and goodness that is rooted in Jesus Christ himself and his finished work. It is this wellness and goodness that sustains us even in the fires and trials of this life. And so while biblical joy, of course, includes happy feelings at times, we need to recognize it goes beyond that and much deeper So having explored the joys and sorrows of Paul briefly, this takes us back to the question we just asked. What then is the relationship between joy and sorrow? Do they have anything in common at all? Or is joy right? We should just get rid of sorrow altogether. But I want us to change our thinking on this. I don't want us to think like joy does in this movie at the beginning. Instead, I want us to see how sorrow and joy actually work more hand in hand and side by side rather than against each other. And so first we see that joy is intensified by sorrow. While it's true that one day sorrow and sadness will be gone altogether in the new heavens and the new earth, we recognize today that we still live in a broken world. And because of this, sorrow still exists in some measure for our good. 
For sorrow and tears of sadness is one of the main ways we can have healing brought to our souls. It affirms that things are not the way they are supposed to be. And it helps us come to terms with the brokenness we're feeling and experiencing. Biologically speaking, crying and experiencing sadness is the way that we process trauma and pain and work through it. And if we bottle up sadness, or if we try to suppress it 100% of the time, rather than experiencing it and working through it, we can be in danger of doing far more damage to ourselves than we're aware of. And sorrow then enables true joy to return to us. It's the pathway to joy in Jesus, deeper, more real joy than ever before. And I think this is, again, beautifully illustrated in the movie Inside Out, where joy and sadness are trying to fix Riley. Riley, the young girl that they're trying to take care of and help, has gone through incredible difficulty. Her world has come crashing down upon her as she moved from her home in Minnesota to California. And in the process, she has lost many close friends. She's experienced numerous changes in her life that have not been easy at all. And so Riley finally hits a breaking point in the movie as she decides to run away from California and take a bus all the way back to Minnesota where she grew up. Joy is frantically trying to to stop this, but nothing works. Riley has shut down completely, and she isn't listening to her emotions anymore. She needs something more than just short, shallow distractions from the deep hurt she's experienced in life. And so it's finally at this point that joy relinquishes control to sadness and sadness is allowed to access the control panel of Riley's mind. And when she does, Riley begins to process the pains and the stresses of her life that she was experiencing. And in experiencing sadness, it causes her to to long for her parents again and to return to them. And so she quickly gets off the bus and goes right back to her home, to her very anxious parents. And similar to the story of the prodigal son, as soon as she arrives back at home, she is greeted by compassionate, loving parents who are thrilled to see her. And so Riley breaks down in tears, and she begins to share the pains and struggles that she's been going through, the difficulties that have overwhelmed her. And in sharing her sorrows with them, they enter into her sorrows and weep with her. And it's at this moment that there is a beautiful, joyful, sorrowful moment that happens all at once. A joyful sorrow that says, yes, things are not all right, but the love and care of my parents will help carry me through this. Their love and their care is enough. And so we see at the end of this movie, sadness working hand in hand with joy to cultivate something much deeper and more real than any fleeting joy at the outset could provide on her own. It is a joy that has experienced profound sadness.
And so the same can be true for us here this morning as well. The sorrows we encounter can deepen and intensify our own joys. And the most obvious place this is true for the Christian is at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ himself. For we recognize, don't we, with sorrow and sadness that Jesus died for our sins and our rebellion against him. And if you believe this to be true, then surely you too have been broken by the reality that Jesus, the very son of God who never did anything wrong in his life, had to die a humiliating death for my sins. He was nailed to a rugged cross and scorned for my rebellion against the Father. He was crushed and humiliated. He was stripped naked and beaten. Our precious Jesus died because of me, because of us. And in this, we experience profound sorrow. We killed Jesus. And so we mourn his death, even as Zechariah prophesied. We experience intense sadness. But in this sorrow, there is also immense joy, isn't there? A deep joy that's really hard to describe. A joy that says, yes, my sins are great, but greater still is the love and forgiveness of Jesus for me. Yes, I failed countless times. And yes, like the disciples, I would often desert Jesus and go my own way. But Jesus still died for me anyway. And he loves me. And he offers me his forgiveness. And so it's in the midst of this great sorrow that there is also immense joy beyond all measure. It's a joy that is intensified by the sorrows that we experience. And so while I don't know what sorrows you might have this morning, what you're experiencing, I want to encourage you to allow the sorrows you're going through to be a catalyst to drive you further and deeper into the deep, deep love and joy of Jesus here this morning. And the sorrows of your failures for not measuring up in some way, let it deepen your joy and gratitude for Jesus forgives you. He extends his forgiveness to you if you repent and turn to him. Allow your failures to heighten the glories of his forgiveness and love for you. And in our sorrows over this broken world that we live in, let it deepen your hope and expectation of Jesus' return. For this is not our home, is it? This is not our home. We are just strangers passing through. And when Jesus returns, we will be at home and at rest. He will restore all things to the way that they should be. And so let the sorrows of this world drive you with hope and joy in his inevitable return. And in the sorrow of deep pain and loss, whether it's the betrayal of a close friend or the loss of a relationship, let it help you relate all the more to Jesus and what he went through for you. For he was betrayed by some of his closest friends. He was left alone at the cross to die by himself so that you and I might be restored to the Father. 
in all our sorrows then, we connect it back to the healing and the forgiveness we find in Jesus, and it intensifies our joy, a joy that can never be taken away by anything in this world. So we connect our sorrows then to the hope and joy found in Jesus. But then like Jesus, we also enter in to the sorrows of others all around us. And just as the parents of Riley enter in to their, their, their daughter's sorrow and weep with her, so we do the same for one another. We bear the burdens of each other and we share them with each other openly and freely. For we were not meant to bear our sorrows alone, but we were meant to share them with each other. And so this Christmas season, even as we see Jesus enter into our sorrows as a baby, let us remember his example and follow him by doing the same for others all around us. Take the opportunity to weep with those who weep. Share your struggles with one another and through this, experience a deep and abiding joy that yes, things are still wrong, but my heavenly Father will make them right. So sorrow then can actually work to heal us and to intensify our joys and even deepen it. But then we also learn on the flip side that joy carries us through sorrow. Joy drives us through sorrow. It carries us through. It's the pathway. And so this is seen in the life of Jesus. And it's given to us as an example to follow. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. It's here that we learn that Jesus endured the cross of humiliation for the joy that laid before him. Joy would come through sorrow. Joy would come through sorrow. This is the way. And this reality drove Jesus to endure the cross for us. The joy that awaited him on the other side drove him to obey the Father, even if it meant going through hell itself. And so he willingly endured the pain and humiliation for the fullness of joy to come. And it is this same truth that helps us in the midst of our own sorrows and pains when it happens. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and our joy to come, a joy found in that final day. And really the certainty of this future joy doesn't just remain in the future, but it bleeds into the present of today. And I think we get this even as we consider many of the pains and sufferings we are already willing to endure, right? Uh, for example, some of you are likely enduring the pains of studying long hours and much school debt. Okay, that is a pain in of itself. But you, you willingly suffer these pains, right? Because of the future joy you believe it will bring you in the end. The joy of that future job or that degree drives you to endure present pains today. It's also why some of you suffer the pains of a hard job and long hours that you don't necessarily enjoy. You do this for the benefit of the joy 
that will bring you in the future. And so you put up with the temporary pain, not always with a smile on your face, but with an inner joy of what that future holds because of it. It's also why many of you in this room will make their New Year's resolution to go through the pains and suffering of dieting and exercising for a healthier body. Okay. The certainty of joy in having a healthier body drives us to endure temporary pains today for that future joy. But as people endure, and as they make progress toward their goal of either losing weight or gaining muscle or just being healthier, they actually begin to have joy in the midst of pain, don't they, right? They have joy not because of the pain, but because of what the pain is creating within them. They have a joy at the results and improvement in their body shape, their, their higher increased energy levels, right? And so the same is true for us in the Christian life. We endure the pains of this life like Jesus for the joy that we see in the end. And it's not a future joy that we have to wait for. It's a joy that bleeds into the present today as we see what God is doing through it for us. It's a joy and knowledge of what we are becoming and what we are being transformed in. Which brings us to a question we should all be asking. What are we becoming? What are we being prepared for through sorrows? As Paul will often tell us, we, the church, are like a bride on her wedding day. We are getting ready to see the groom in all purity. We are readying ourselves to see Jesus face to face, where we receive what our hearts have always longed for, Jesus. Jesus and all the promises that are ours in him. And so it is this joy that we are living for, through, for that carries us through the pains and sufferings. For we recognize that through it all, God is preparing us to meet his son one day. He's preparing us in all holiness and purity. He's preparing us for all eternity. And so it's this future joy that we wait for, we look for, that bleeds into our present lives today. And so even as Hebrews 12 reminds us then, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We keep looking to him and his example for us. And even as Galatians 6 encourages us, we must keep sowing to the Spirit. For if we do, we will reap in due time. We will reap the fruit of joy and joy and fullness in the end. I remember back in basic training about 12 years ago um, that I took James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 with me. And similar to this passage in Hebrews, it encourages us to count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect on you, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And, and similar to Hebrews, it's saying, endure the inflictions you're going through because of the joy to come. Count it as joy. See what is being produced through it and rejoice in these pains. Well, during basic training, let me tell you what. Uh, that was easier said than done, okay? 
I mean, I was really tested on this. Do I really believe that God's doing something good through this? I was sad. I was depressed. And for the first few weeks, I hit incredible depression levels I've never experienced before. And I was not alone in that room as many grown men cried themselves to sleep for the first week. I had a lot to learn. My attention to detail was weak, and I suffered greatly because of it. But I would come back to this verse. I knew it was going to be hard. But I keep reciting it back to myself over and over again. I kept trying to see, God, what are you doing through this? This is painful. This is awful. Am I really growing through this? I'm just dying. That's all that's happening right now. But as these verses tell us, we can count it all joy because we know that God is working through it somehow in some way to make us like Jesus. He's preparing us for that wedding day. He's cultivating our faith. He's refining us through fire and he's preparing us to meet the one who died for me. So even though I struggled and I definitely didn't have the emotion of happiness during that time, I kept trying to have a positive outlook. And now looking back many, many years ago, I can see more clearly what God was really doing through this for me. He was humbling me of my pride. He was transforming my character. He was teaching me to trust him. He was exposing areas of sin in my life that needed to be repented of. And in looking back at that experience, yes, I remember the pain. It was awful. I still have nightmares to this day about being back in basic training. It's terrible. But despite all of the sorrows, despite all of the pain that was caused through it, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything because I see now how God has transformed me through it. I see how he's worked through that experience in my life to further prepare me for eternity. And the same is true for you through the trials of life that you go through. God is desiring to work through all the pains and sufferings we go through to give us deeper joy, more meaningful joy. So even as we leave this morning, then I want to encourage us, no matter what we are going through, to rest in Jesus, who is truly the rock of our joy. He is the rock of joy, which will sustain us against the flood of sorrow and grief. And though the waves of sorrow and sadness may crash heavy upon us, there is a coming day when these will subside for good and the joy will remain forevermore. So let us, as the body of Christ, the church, keep our eyes fixed on that joy that is ours and live for that day when we will see Jesus face to face and we hear him say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you that you have given us joy beyond measure in Christ Jesus. Jesus, you have freed us from the shackles of sin and death. And while we taste this today, we look forward expectantly when we will be freed from sin forevermore and where we will no longer know tears of sadness, but tearless joy in Christ. We look forward to that day when you will make all wrong things right. 
where you will raise us from the dead, where you will restore loved ones that we have lost, and where we will be united to Christ forevermore. So give us that joy today, even as we look to you, Jesus. Help us to rejoice in what you are doing in our life, even when it is not easy. Sustain us and make full our joy. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.